We rejoice that we have this opportunity to be together, two or three, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and lift up his name, open his word, and to share communion. It's a privilege, and we're thankful for everyone who could be here. So before we turn to his living word, we want to give an opportunity, if there are any expressions, any um, announcements, any greetings to the church, now would be the time. Thank you for those greetings from Sister Nancy. Please extend our greetings to her as well. Thank you for those greetings from Strasburg and Sister Christine and Sister Elizabeth Bayford. Thank you, those from greetings from Brother Craig and Sister Dorothy Moore. Uh, Brother Craig's uh, not feeling well, his, his back is in trouble. Greetings from uh, Millie. She's hot, home again looking after the kids. And yesterday we were at the OMEC meeting, bringing a greeting from the ministry to know with uh, Greetings from Sister Millie. She's home watching uh, uh, Ryan's uh, children. And also all the, the ministers and elders in Ontario were together at Avon Road, and they extend greetings to the congregation. Thank you for those greetings from Sister Agnes. Yeah, so Sister Bethany will be going to Kitchener to watch her father during the week, and she'd like to take the church's greetings to Strasbourg. Please do take the church's greetings. Brother Zarko called this morning, unfortunately he had to work, and uh, he extended greetings to the church. So if there are no further greetings, let's uh, look at the announcements we have for today. Um, today, uh, it's the beginning of, well, the beginning of September, so we are looking forward to actually having a graduation from our Sunday school this morning. We're going to have... Uh, uh, presentation immediately following the church service this morning. Um, uh, our collections this month we're dedicating to Hope Ministry. That's uh, Michelle um, Schlatter, well, now Mary Toth, Scott and Michelle Toth. Uh, they're in working off of tributaries in, to the Amazon, and uh, they're starting a new ministry in a, a town to rescue abused children. And they have the land, uh, they, and the first thing you have to do is build a wall. And as Brother Doug explained, you know, we, we made this mistake in Zambia. Uh, they, we, they, when we first got involved in the work there, they said, what's your need? Oh, we need to build a stone wall that, you know, North Americans like, oh, well, we'd rather build another school than a wall. What's the point of a wall? And the next time Dennis went back, a uh, good 50% of the land had been encroached on and built on. So in these countries, it is actually an important thing, and uh, we have to respect that. So that's the first thing they need to do is to build a wall, um, and so that's what our collect donations will be going to uh, that are earmarked for, uh, we call it Hope Ministry. This uh, Wednesday, um, we're continuing our, our series on in building intentional communities within our church to have that close-knit uh, fellowship and, and uh, vibrancy. 
invite everyone to come and join us for that. We're looking forward uh, next week, I believe, yeah, that's the 17th. Um, our sister Lena is going to be turning 90, and we're going to have a special luncheon for her. Uh, several of her family will be joining us for the first time for lunch and also to stay for the afternoon. So we plan to have a, a potluck luncheon. We ask each family to bring a meat, side dish, and dessert. Uh, salads and rolls will be provided. Uh, and we appreciate everyone's help in the kitchen uh, for this event. Uh, afterwards, we like to have an inspiration hour led by our uh, brother, Brian Vukasik. And uh, that's gonna begin at 2 p.m. after lunch. And also, there's been a poster made uh, uh, for her, and we just want to invite everyone, to, it's, it's at the back, to take a moment to sign it, uh, to uh, something to, to remember her, uh, that she can remember this event by. Um, and finally, we're looking forward to the All Ontario Sing coming up in Strasbourg in September 23rd and 24th, and you can pray for our brother Daniel, who's going to be involved in that as well, um, and to support uh, that, that endeavor. I believe that's all the announcements I have. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we are gathered not because of what we have, but because we recognize we have a need. We have a, a need for our Heavenly Father to come and to fill us this morning. Lord, we want to empty ourselves of all our distracted, muddled thoughts that the pure word of your truth could displace and, and provide clarity, direction, encouragement, uh, a reflection that we can see ourselves and we can take action and be changed and empowered to change by your spirit that would work in each one of our hearts. Father, it is but by your grace that this transforming can we work can be done, and Lord, we need it. Our world needs it. Those in our in the corner where we are need that light to shine. And so, Father, we pray you would kindle that flame in our hearts, and that we could burn brightly wherever we go. Father, speak to us in the name of, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews uh, chapter 5. I'd like to read a few verses at the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 5. Speaking of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the high priest and, and how he arrived at that. Um, maybe we can read the, the entire, uh, let's start reading from verse five to get some context. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, that's when uh, our Lord Jesus was here in, on the, this planet in flesh and blood, 
who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Lord bless the reading of his word. The Lord is worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Our loving Father in heaven, thou, O Lord, who did put this world into being and existence, not only this world, not only this earth, this planet, which is but a speck in your vast universe that consists of so many galaxies, so many other terrestrial spheres and orbs, the great stars, the sun of which is about solar system, also just a speck of light. And yet it warms the earth, and yet it gives forth its light to enable growth and chemical reactions in plants that assist in bringing forth all the wonderful fruits and vegetation that enables us to be sustained. O Lord, how great thou art, how mighty thou art. It is beyond our comprehension. And as man tries to explain our existence, they come to so many roadblocks And we can only believe, Lord, that all this wonderful creation was brought into existence by a creator where everything was coordinated so that life could not only be produced but sustained. What a mighty God we serve 
What a great God we serve. And Lord, we pray that many more would serve you and worship you and give you the adoration that is due to your high and holy name. Oh Lord, help us to continue to marvel that it may make us continually remind us of how great you are and you need or you ought to be worshipped. Lord, for if we don't worship you, if we don't praise your name, as the Lord Jesus himself said, surely the stones would cry out. Father in heaven, we come before the unbended knee to give you thanks and praise, to give you honour and worship. Lord, we pray that it's not just on a Sunday morning that we do this. Lord, we pray that it's every day of our lives. Every day we remember who you are and who we are and how dependent we are on you. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank thee for this day. For this is the day the Lord has made. We shall be glad and rejoice in it. And we pray as we worship thee today, we worship thee in spirit and in truth. We worship thee with our full attention, with our full being, all that is within us, as the psalmist did say. That we would praise thee and worship thee. Father, we thank thee for your providence, for your care for us, for our daily bread. We thank thee, Father, for the homes we live in, our families. We thank thee, Father, that you have brought us here thus far and you will lead us all the way home if we choose to follow Father, we thank thee for the word that we have before us. We pray that you would bless it upon our hearts, that we would be open to it, that our hearts would be open to receive it in meekness, in humility, mingled with faith. We pray that you would grant our dear brother the utterance upon his lips and a clarity of mind that he may expound the true meaning, the intent of what was written down many, many years ago. Father, we are thankful that we could gather together as your body, your local body here, members one of another whose head is Jesus Christ. He's that high priest that we just read about. He's the one that has been ordained by you as you had ordained Aaron and the sons of Aaron to be the priest over, the high priest over Israel, to give your laws to them, to, to intercede for them and for himself 
with the offerings of bullocks and rams and turtle doves and goats. Yet we know, as this very book says, this was all just a shadow of things to come, a foreshadow of the real Lamb of God that will one day come, that will introduce a New Testament in his blood, that would bring in a new covenant. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this covenant was brought in not because the first was imperfect, but as we read in this very book, it says it's because the comers thereunto were imperfect, because of our inability to keep the first, because of our disobedience. And we now have the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who gave himself upon the cross of Calvary for our sins. We pray that you would remind each and every one of us of this very truth every day, that we may not forget that we were purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Be with those that cannot be with us. Watch over them. Convict their hearts also as they are in their various places, whether home or on sick beds or in the way, traveling, that you would remind them that they are, there, they are yours also. And no matter where we are, we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Be with the sick, the shut-in, the widows, the widowers, the isolated, those that are going through great trials in their life, Oh, Lord, lift them up, comfort them, strengthen them. And now we would commend this service into your care and keeping, trusting that you will be the speaker through the vessel of clay that is before us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ. It's because of him we are here this morning. And this book, Hebrews, is giving us this big picture from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament to the New, and how they relate and, 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 uh, and how they connect. And we see Jesus... He was always had this purpose, this plan to redeem you and I, to be the priest and the lamb, as we heard in the prayer this morning. Does it not seem odd to you, verse 9? You want to look it up? If there was anyone ever who was perfect... It would be Jesus Christ. What does it say here? And being made perfect. Why would Jesus Christ, the Son of God, need to be made perfect? Maybe we need to understand that word a little better. 
You see, it's actually the same word as the one in verse 14. In another few places in the scripture. And I think we often get, in, in verse 14, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. So the word perfect, the Greek word underlying that is actually implying to be complete, to be mature, to be fully developed. We see uh, it's also translated in 1 Corinthians 14. We've been talking about the Corinthian church and their immaturity. 1 Corinthians 3 talks very similarly saying that, you know, you are carnal, you're immature, you're squabbling, you're fighting, you're having, you know, all this ego battles about who's, who I'm following and, and factions. Um, you, you're, you need milk instead of meat, exactly the same metaphor. And then 1 Corinthians 14, he comes back to how they were doing church, and he says, uh, you know, malice be children but in understanding be men. And the word men is the same Greek word as perfect, the same Greek word as full age, the same idea of contrast with immaturity, contrast with being um, uh, like children that we squabble and we petty and our focus is small, our goals are small, our self-control is small, and, and, and the way we approach things is immature. And said, come on, grow up, in other words. Become a man. Become fully developed. Become someone who, who understands things in depth and not just at a shallow level. Don't just need to take the milk. Take the meat that requires digestion, that requires sinking your teeth into it, that requires more effort and produces more value. But Jesus? Why would Jesus need to be made perfect, mature, fully developed? The one who had... That means that our idea of perfect about never having made a mistake... That's kind of our conception when we think of the word perfect today is not what the Bible is talking about here. Jesus never did make a mistake. He never sinned. He was perfect in the sense that he was without error, without blemish. He was the sinless lamb. But there was something he had not experienced. Previous verse. Though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. Jesus had all the privilege. He was the very son of God, co-eternal, co-existent with him from all time, had all the glory and worship of the angels. He had all the privilege, all the power. But now he learned something that he didn't learn in the throne room. Something he learned on this planet. A fallen world. A world <coughs> under the dominion of a corrupt, rebellious 
malevolent spirit where there is suffering due to sin. Did that suffering, I was, I was reading how many people are leaving the church because they've experienced suffering and suffering is incompatible with their idea of a good God. How can a good God allow suffering? No, the good God himself said suffering has a purpose. Suffering can be redeemed and make even the Son of God complete. Depending how we look and react to our suffering, we can react to suffering in an immature way, in a way that has worldly sorrow, that has self-pity, that leads to depression, that leads to despair, leads to giving up, leads to poor me, leads to blame shifting, all this projection on other people rather than being mature, rather than taking responsibility, rather than crying out to the one true source of strength to help you endure when you don't have the strength to endure, to help you Interesting that the picture of the perfected, matured, fully developed divine being is not one of self-sufficiency. Here is Jesus. He's so strong. He doesn't need anybody. That's not the picture. Here is Jesus who is so intimate with the Father. That even when he gets the cup of suffering that he would rather not have, says, if there be any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. And from the very hand that he receives that suffering, he cries out, the power to endure the power to remain true, the power from God to be made complete, to learn obedience. Not independence, self-sufficiency, I am, I don't need anybody. To learn obedience, relationship, submission, power under control made him the fully developed perfect son of God. Called of God. A high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then the writer turns to all the readers and says, now, this is hard for you to understand. Why is it hard for you to understand? These teaching about Jesus, 
who's the suffering servant as opposed to the victorious king, conquering king. And he's challenging them on their growth. How do I respond to difficult circumstances? Have I matured? Do I respond resisting, kicking, screaming, blaming, self-piteous? Or do I learn to be like Jesus? Learn to bear the yoke. Learn to accept responsibility. Learn to submit to ultimate authority as opposed to reject and, re and throw off their bonds and be the spirit of the age of rebellion and self-destruction. The image of Satan to shake the fist with anger or the image of Jesus to bow the head in prayer and to persist and to follow through with the most difficult, most sacrificial, most self-denying path, the path of the cross. The writer expresses disappointment. The readers. Says, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you. You ought to have grown beyond me giving you these very first basic principles. This should be something that you're not just a receiver but a giver of good truth. You ought not to be someone who needs it pre-digested by your mother, pre-made into something easy to consume. You don't need teeth. You need to get out of that immature stage so you can Put your teeth into meat, strong meat. But strong meat belongeth to those who are the same word. Perfect, mature, full age. And that word perfect, you can look at it throughout the scriptures. And again, I think we get the wrong idea. It's the word when, when Jesus says, be ye perfect, my Father in heaven is perfect. It's the same word. It's not like be impossibly without ever making a mistake. No. That is not the, the, the unattainable goal that you're being beaten over the head with. You know, God's perfect. Why aren't you? No. God has learned to, to suffer and obey and become fully developed and mature. And you need to grow up and to become that fully developed, mature, 
son and daughter of the living God, just like Jesus. Be perfect, mature, even as God is. Go beyond feelings, responding to feelings. Go beyond reacting to people and their slights and insults and perceived or otherwise, because that's immature. And he's challenging the Corinthians who are constantly looking inward and there's this competitiveness there's this this like i'm better than you because i have this gift or you know you did this to me i'm taking you to court or you know uh, you know i feel like sleeping around so it's okay or you know i'm giving in to my flesh and you know or i'm richer than you are so i'm gonna you know show off when i come to church with how much food i'm bringing or whatever there's all this immature um, believers that were carnal Christians in Corinth. He says, it's, it's time to grow up. In our modern-day Christianity, are we conditioned or expected to be receivers or givers. Is it enough to sit back and be fed from the milk of the Word of God? Or do we need to mature and to dig into the meat for ourselves? to wrestle with the word of God. Wrestle not only with what it means, but what it looks like in my life and how I can apply this and how I can die to myself. And even though it hurts, even though it means crucifixion and self-denial, even though it means surrendering rights and surrendering um, my pride, Does, am I willing to grow beyond the pampered baby to the mature child of God? Because we are being challenged in the scripture. There's an expectation that we grow. It's not enough to just be the baby. It's wonderful to have the baby. The baby is new life. The baby is promise. The baby is future. The baby is cute. The baby makes us smile. The baby makes, gives us joy. But if the baby stays a baby, we get worried. Something's wrong. Something's not the way it should be. Verse 14, strong meat belongeth to who? To them that are full age, mature, fully developed, even to those, now it's giving us some means. Even to those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Maturity does not come from just sitting and reading your Bible. Maturity does not come from hearing many sermons. Maturity does not come by knowing many things. Maturity comes by doing, by using, by exercising. The, the, the word is gymnos underneath there. Coming from the, the, the Olympic Games, again, that Paul is drawing on um, the, the culture of the day that you gave everything. In fact, you know, it means to exercise naked because you were going to leave everything behind. You're going to give it all. There's going to be no obstacle in your way to work towards improving and growing yourself to the potential that your body provides. And it takes work. When I was a kid, I thought I was very unathletic. Well, I mean, that was a fact. I was unathletic. Um, you know, grade three, you know, the government tried to put in some, in some, some uh, you know, whatever, to encourage kids to, you know, get active and more sports-minded. And, you know, there was gold stars and silver stars and bronze stars for, you know, how many sit-ups and pull-ups and so on you could do. Now, I was used to getting gold stars because I could, I could remember things well. And that was my first bronze star. That was, that was discouraging, you know? And that was maybe defining, like, you know, you just aren't cut out for this. You can't do this. You can't live, you know. Now, was I exercising? Was I actually trying to develop those muscles? I didn't develop those muscles by lifting books and reading them. It didn't, didn't come that way. You know, much later in life, when I finally got serious about exercise, I was surprised that, wow, I can actually improve. My body's capable of doing that. I just was never exercised. It took consistency. It took pushing past pain. It took, you know, doing it day in, week in, over time, year in, year out. But it actually, you know, your body can do things it couldn't do before because you exercised. Sometimes we think, well, I can't do that. That mature sister, brother, they can accomplish that, but I can't. But are you exercising? Are you trying? Are you saying, hey, show me, take me under your wings. I like to learn how to do that. Let's do things together. And as we practice Christianity, which requires sacrifice of time, energy, to meet the needs of others, to um, show the love of Christ, to reach a hurting world in whatever way God is showing you, things you think you can't do will become easier, attainable. Things that were impossible 
a few a sh short time ago because of reason of use. And part of it is your recognition, your discernment of understanding the strategies. The evil one is coming to knock you down and to get you off the path. The evil versus the good. You don't get better at it like, oh yeah, I failed again. You have to learn how to resist. You need to cry out to the one and you need to make sacrifices. It will cost you to mature. But that is what brings joy to the father to see his children develop to become more like his son, to become more like him, to grow. We understand this when it comes to perhaps physical exercise. I saw quite a few smiling at you know, my attempts to become physical by you know, just wanting to be. We understand that. We understand the input and the output. We understand the same with school. If you don't spend the time studying, you don't get the grades and pass and accomplish the degree. We understand the work. If you don't spend the time learning the skill and developing it, you don't end up being skillful and compensated for that skill. You know, like, you know, maybe in a class again, you know, I can, you know, quick get the ideas, and I, I sound really smart at the beginning of the class, but by the end of the class, people are actually doing it, and if I'm not doing it, if I like, yeah, oh yeah, I, I know the buzzword, you know, I can speak the lingo, but if I don't actually have practice using these tools, I'm not skillful, and we understand that. Do we expect it to be different in Christianity? Do we expect just because this is something that's by grace alone, by faith alone, by God's work, it's something you can't do on your own, therefore we sit and wait for maturity to fall into our laps? We are saved by God's grace, by his completed work on the cross. It is all Jesus and nothing of me, right? Jesus plus nothing. Therefore, my salvation is complete. I am a baby, complete baby. But is that bringing joy to the Father's heart if I don't grow? And grow, Jesus showed us the way. He didn't just die on the cross. He came and lived, and in his flesh, he had to offer up prayers and supplications with strong crying uh, unto him that was able to save him and was heard. In that, he expressed his complete trust and dependence on God rather than on himself. You don't get that merely in the act of salvation. You need to grow in that. It needs to be practiced and used and developed in the context of everyday life in the context of serving God, in the context of doing things you don't think you can do. Jesus 
didn't think he could do this alone. And so he had to cry out to the Father, have you and I tackle things that we don't think we can do? Or we say, oh, I can't do that. Well, that's great. That's an opportunity for you to be like Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to grow to the next level. God is giving you an opportunity to mature and become perfect, become a full age, to become a man and woman of God rather than a mere baby. He's giving you meat. It's going to require some chewing and digestion. He is challenging us to grow. And that is how we bring pleasure and joy to the Father's face as we learn to take those steps, even though there's falling along the way. No one ever got up and started walking as a baby without falling. It doesn't happen. But if the baby never tries and says, oh, that's dangerous. I don't ever want to fall. I am going to crawl for the rest of my life. And you got a 40-year-old man crawling on the floor because he doesn't want to take that step and fall. That's a problem. We need to be willing to take those steps and take those risks and, and even if there is pain, to persist and depend and walk towards our Heavenly Father, rely on His hands, rely on Him catching us because He wants to help us to grow to be not a baby that's on the bottle, but to be like Jesus, to become mature and a full age. May that be the goal of each and every one of us. and 39. Let's sing the first two and the last. Is it the last two verses or the last verse? First two and the last verse.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather in thy house where we could hear thy word, where we can be reminded of the lives we live and are we growing or are we going backwards. Father, many times we feel weak. We feel we need milk and we're still on milk and haven't grown to that level where we eat meat. Help us, Lord. Give us strength, Lord. Help us with our fears and our, the things that go through our mind that deceive us many times and we base it upon human understanding and, and not the, the power of God. We see how Jesus gave himself and even being the son of man, the son of God, how he relied on thee. Father in heaven, it, it, perhaps we're ashamed many times at how we live and, and the weak, how weak we are. Help us, Lord, and strengthen us that we may grow, that we may draw, draw closer to thee, that not that we may be seen of man, that, but that we may have a, um, a clean conscience with thee and a closer walk with thee. Father in heaven, we pray for the many that could not come today because of old age, because of health, because of difficulty. Father, we're reminded of those that are living in this world in poverty and in suffering as we read many times in the, on the media and news where they're suffering, where they do not have food or they do not have clothing. And they do not even have housing, even in a country like Canada. Father, we pray that we would, that we would uh, help others, Lord, that we would see the needs of others and that we would not turn away and, and, and just enjoy life. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be with us throughout this day, that you would add what we cannot ask of thee. But for all your goodness, Lord, and for all your blessings, we thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hymn number 115, the last two verses.
We heard this morning about um, the sufferings of Christ and what it resulted in. Because he suffered, we don't have to suffer in the way he did. Neither do we have to suffer eternally uh, in the lake of fire, separated from the love of God for an eternity. It's because of what Jesus Christ suffered for us on the cross. Brother Edmund was focusing on have we suffered enough to make us perfect? Because to do things in the kingdom of God requires suffering. We sing in the hymn number 90, you know, we have not been given a path of roses. We're not walking on a path of roses. There's no one that walks on paths of roses. Many times they've got thorns in them anyway. But do we realize that just because we are saved at no cost to us, that Christ requires us to suffer for his sake. Like Paul said in Colossians, that, that it's left for him that the, the sufferings, the afflictions that were meant for Christ, we, we took in, to, to, if you will, to bring it to perfection. Not that we are suffering for our sin, but we are suffering because of not the payment for sin, but rather for the application of that payment in preaching the gospel. I'm, I, I think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. And how he strove for the gospel. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race, but one receives the prize? So run that ye may obtain. It takes effort, running. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate. What does that mean? Self-controlled. He's controlling his decisions, his, uh, his habits, his, his um, actions in all things. Now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not one that beats the air, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. There it goes, that self-control. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is Paul speaking about his own mission, his own ministry. Came across a very interesting uh, uh, article. It was, I guess, it was uh, delivered way back when in the um, Messenger. This is what this is what a brother uh, wrote about his ministry. He was in Argentina. He's, if you know the heard about the Meisters, this is what he said. We sang this song once in choir. The way of the cross leads home. In the service of Jesus Christ, the longest journey must always begin with the first step. The first step is at most times difficult, no better expressed than the Meisters wrote from Argentina. Quote, nowhere is the work easy. 
Harvest is a result of abundant and laborious sowing, followed by painstaking and sometimes grueling care. It is God who does the work, with men being used as his tools, but tools must be held over the grindstone much of the time if they are to be effective. And the result of this, we are very, very well aware that in Burnaby, for after nine years of holding services, three persons were baptised into the fellowship of Jesus Christ during the past year. And he goes on to say some more, but sowing tears brings joyful harvest. Waiting upon God to bless brings joyful harvest. And it takes pain and suffering. Are we willing to expend ourselves? Are we willing to suffer for the kingdom of God's sake? Sometimes it's, it's suffering for us to make an effort to come to church. It's easier to stay home. Sometimes it's suffering for us to, to go out and talk to our neighbours. There's repercussions. I may get rejected. I may, they may not like what I say. Are we willing to suffer for Christ's sake, knowing that this suffering builds us up? This suffering is what refines us as the Apostle James says in 1 James chapter 1. Let's be mindful of our calling and why, what God has called us to. As Paul was called, he says, that he must show to you, Ananias says, the things you need to suffer for his gospel's sake. To God be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service, but we'd like to have... A presentation this morning for our recent graduate is uh, Sylvia here. Sylvia Denzinger will uh, call you forward. For you, um, I looked up your name this morning. What it means? It means forest or trees. And to me, it's symbolic of your growth. And that trees bring forth fruit, and tree, trees bring shade. And, and the the Bible says that the, even the fowls of the air they 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 rest on the branches of the trees. So we pray. This is a blessing. Okay, this is a blessing. I pray that God will bless you in a way that you will be that fruitful, that that God's creation that will bring forth much refuge to those that need it, much fruit to the glory and honor of Christ, and that the things that you have learned in Sunday school will indeed remain in you, and you'll be um, motivated by and live by. God bless you. You as we normally do to our graduates with a, a Bible, and we pray that God will bless you for the rest of your life. Thank you. Um, we normally sing to Sunday school, but I think she's a bit older, so 
she's graduated now. Let's uh, thank God for it. Let's uh, thank God for her uh, graduating from Sunday school. And we can sing uh, hymn number, what is it? Thank you, the Lord, 26th in addition. What's that? 279. Let's do that. Let's stand. Before we open God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word preserved for us, that we can read it together and learn from it. It is our guide while we walk here below, and until that day when faith will no longer be needed and we will see thee face to face, we so desperately need to come before thee and to read this book together and to seek thy purpose and thy a blessing on our life. Be with us now, Heavenly Father, as we look into thy word together and bless us with the presence of thy good and Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's meditation, I have a portion of scripture uh, on my heart that we should read together. And I'd like us to open to the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read the entire chapter. Galatians 5, starting with verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. 
For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have not been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, and of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I've read the entire chapter. The Galatian church had an issue that Paul addresses throughout this letter <clears throat> where the church began in a, in a spiritually sound way. They understood the doctrine of grace, that we are saved by grace alone, not of works of the law. And there were some that came afterwards that began teaching the Jewish religion and teaching them that it was necessary to observe the Jewish law if they were to be saved. And this chapter divides itself into two halves. 
let's, let's just begin going through them together and, and uh, see where they have parallels in our life today because I think, at least at a surface reading, this may seem a little confusing if we don't take the time to pull it apart a little bit. And we may have difficulty seeing where some of these things may impact our life today. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. We are given liberation through Jesus Christ. Now the question is liberation from what? The truth is that we will be under the influence of one spirit or the other in this world. We either are, as, as Paul says in another place, bond servants or slaves of Jesus Christ and free from the yoke of Satan, or we're Satan's slaves and free from the influence of Jesus Christ. Now that may sound, at least to our, our hyper-individualistic mindset of this, of this current era, to sound like a raw deal. Why can't I just be free to do what I want? Well, what do you want? That's actually the question. What are you really looking for? I was talking with a brother yesterday at OMEC, and we got talking. He, he doesn't come from a church family and grew up in a rough neighborhood tough guy, hanging around in gangs and getting into trouble. Alcohol, drugs. He talked to me a little bit about some of his peers that he knew growing up. He said, there's this one guy he knew and he moved into the school, I think, in the eighth grade. And the first thing the guy did was he found the biggest, toughest guy in school and beat him up. Just leveled him. This is a guy that already in the eighth grade, I think, could grab a hundred-pound dumbbell in one arm and hoist it above his head. Strong. Strong young man. A champion boxer, actually, as well. And his brother said how he met him many years later, and he said he was just a shell of himself. Bad choices, wrong living, and drugs had destroyed what was once a magnificent body. The irony, of course, was he did what he wanted, and that was the result. So the question is, what do you want? Everyone wants freedom, wants liberty, but what do you do with it? What kind of life would you live if there was nothing to restrain you? The Bible tells you about the problem that you have. You have a heart that's deceitful. You have a nature that's bent towards sin. I think that's why most of us are here this morning, or this afternoon, I should say. We can admire and appreciate the good and the noble and the virtuous. But when nobody is watching, when no one sees we find ourselves doing the base and the despicable. Why is that? 
when you have the freedom to do what you want without any consequence, why is the result so bad? Why do we lock our doors at night? Why do we make sure when we park our car in a strange city that we hide our valuables, roll up the windows, and double-check that the car is locked? Because we know the nature of man. That's the ugly truth of it. So again, if you had the freedom to do what you want, what would you do with that freedom? The believers in Galatia had been given liberty, had been given freedom. What had they been given freedom from? First of all, from sin. They could now do the good and the right that they could not do before, not with any consistency. You see, the law, the Jewish law, was holy, just, and good. This is why it still continues, I think, to this day. God still has a purpose for the law. It's a schoolmaster, it says, that brings us to Christ. It's not that the law ceased to have any purpose after Christ. It still points the way. This is why any enduring nation must build its laws on the laws of God. The Ten Commandments, in many places, at least in the States, are etched on the courthouse wall and on monuments and cities because of the realization that God's ways are the right ways. And any free society needs to have that framework of law there if they're going to call themselves a free society. Seems ironic, doesn't it? So they were made free of sin. But there was also something else that they were made free of. You see, that the law could not make the people who practiced it perfect. It could only point out the infraction. It could only point out the error of what they were doing. And within the law, there were, in the Jewish law, there were sacrifices that had to be offered for sin. There was um, Yom Kippur, I think it was, the Day of Atonement, where once a year the people were to mourn for their sin and to make atonement at one meant with God, to come back together realizing that they had strayed. Now, uh, for those of you that maybe have spent some time in a canoe, if you're out on an Algonquin in a canoe and you're on a big lake, I remember my dad teaching this years ago, you could see canoes at quite a distance. And sometimes the canoe would be facing you, and sometimes it would be kind of off at an angle one way and then off at the angle the other way, and he would say, those are rookie paddlers. They can't keep a straight line. They were continually course-correcting on their way to the far shore. That's what happens with us. A heart bent towards sin needs constant course-correction, constant return to the, to the line that God has drawn. But when God himself takes up residence within the heart of one who experiences the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, there is now an internal compass that always points the proper direction. And there's no need to wander. No need to go off course. The freedom to follow that straight line.
And now the Galatian believers were being confused. There were those who had come in that said, you need to return to the Jewish law. You need to circumcise your male children, as the law said. You need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved by Messiah. And Paul rightly points out, look, if you think that you can be saved through circumcision or through keeping of the law, Christ is worthless to you. You don't understand the purpose of the law. Neither do you understand the freedom of Christ. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. Now, this particular error that Paul is pointing out here is not one that I think is of grave danger to us today. There are not many in this world who are bending every effort to try to live virtuously thinking that they can get to heaven based on their own merit. I don't see that as being a a very real and present danger, though I can imagine there may be some in our circles raised, taught the right things, that think by doing right things they can somehow attain salvation. In that case, yes, this this error is is a a real one, a, a present danger. In this time that Paul wrote this, this was a real danger, and he had to speak very strongly and even sarcastically as he talked about, he wishes how those who, would, who were coming in to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ would actually be cut off, much like uh, the, the circumcision was practiced, cut off and discarded. But I'd like to spend a little bit more time on the second part because I think that's where the real challenge for today lives. And as, as is always the case, God's word, when we consider it in its entirety, presents a balanced perspective. Both errors are pointed out to us. He says, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You've been given freedom now. Only use it not for an occasion to the flesh. What does that mean? Don't use the freedom you've been given to now live in a way that just satisfies your your base or, or animal instincts. You know, some animals... If you put down food in front of them and you give them a lot of food, they'll eat and eat and eat until they're sick and then throw up and then start eating again. They don't know when is enough. Ironically, people do the same sort of thing. They keep going back to the same experiences thinking somehow that this is going to produce some kind of gratification or satisfaction. You know, it always seemed ironic to me that in this world uh, of, of, of casual encounters, of one-night stands and short-term relationships, you know, that the, the, the poets still write about, or the songwriters anyway, write about things like true love and, and lasting love and looking for love. I'm thinking, well, if you if you if you have set a pattern of these short-term relationships, how is that setting you up for some kind of a long-term commitment 
of knowing the person that you, you really need to be with, your, your soulmate in the words of the world. The world can talk sometimes about noble things. Go back to the 70s and, you know, the things that the Beatles wrote about in their songs. Can you imagine a world with no war? I can't even imagine a world where I don't lock my car. Never mind a world without war. It's a noble idea to think that there's this, that, that, that humanity may be capable of, of, of love and peace. And we see little glimpses of it uh, every so often, but it's so fleeting. It's the exception, not the rule. Instead, it's that, that insatiable hunger of, the, of the, the lower instincts of people that we see continually. It's not shocking anymore to read that politicians have once again abused their power and position for either... Um, uh, fleshly gratification or money. It's not even shocking anymore. In fact, we almost expect it. Corruption on Wall Street or in Hollywood or in Washington or in Ottawa for that matter doesn't really even cause us to a pause. We know it's not right. Everyone knows it's not right. Everyone gives lip service to ethics and virtue. But virtuous living is much more difficult than virtue signaling. There is another way. There is a way available through Jesus Christ. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. As long as you are bound by your fleshly nature, even though you like the virtuous things, even though you admire the things that are good and noble, you will not be able to do them. You must be walking in the Spirit, as it says in Romans 8, if you want to be free from sin. But the good news is you can be free from sin. That, that experience, that Romans 7 experience, the good that I would I cannot do and the evil that I would not that I do, that does not have to be the human experience. There is freedom. Paul himself says very clearly, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on into Romans 8 explaining what it means to walk in the Spirit. And he that walks in the Spirit doesn't sin. That's amazing. How can that be when sin seems to be so universal in this world? That is the freedom that's available in Christ. But that freedom is only available to those that believe and in humility can accept what Christ has done. The Judaizers tried to add something to the law. Those that were walking in, in, a, in, a, in a fleshly way, we can see what happened. 
Now the works of the flesh are which are manifest are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, sexual immorality is a kind of blanket, blanket topic there. Then idolatry, witchcraft, spiritual uh, uh, um, perversions. God intended man to worship him, to recognize him as the source for all things, and in finding God as the source for all things, the God of love, that he would find also fulfillment and ultimate happiness and joy by recognizing that. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, divisions, infighting, envy, all of those things that we find so repulsive in other people but so difficult to spot in ourselves. God's word is a mirror for us to see ourselves as we really are. And God says very clearly, as I have told you through the Apostle Paul, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it was mentioned in this morning uh, uh, about the, the lake of fire, which is a picture of pain, and people seem to think that that lake of fire is, is something that God created to torment those that he's not happy with. No, the lake of fire is just an analogy to show what it's like without God. When God chooses to be distant from you, it's torment. Look at those who began with God or began under a good and godly influence and went the way of their own desires and their own flesh and where they ended up. See, hell and heaven can both begin in this life for people. You don't have to wait for the next life to experience heaven or hell. They will start here for us. The danger for Christians, I think, in this day of permissiveness is not necessarily the legalistic mindset of the Jewish uh, Judaizers that were trying to return the early Christians back to the Jewish law. I don't see that as being the major danger. I think the danger is that calling ourselves free in, in, in Christ, we can use that, that, that freedom as, a, as a, Paul says, a cloak for maliciousness or a covering for doing things that are actually selfish and don't indicate the freedom that we are to have in Christ. The world should see us as a different people, a set-aside people, people that, have been, that are, are, are walking to a different beat, that do things that are unexpected in this world. It's happened to our family more than once. We've gone to the grocery store, and you know, we're a large family, and we buy a lot of groceries, and the groceries all get rung through and taken home, and then Grace is looking over the bill and sees, hey, I was not charged for this item. And she goes back to the store to go talk to a manager saying, like, I was not charged here. Here's the item. Uh, I'd, I'd like to be charged for it. And it's always a shocking thing. And usually the manager just simply says, well, keep it. Thank you for your honesty. No charge. Now, we're always ready to pay, 
because we haven't been properly charged. But that's so foreign in this world that says, ah, it's a big corporation. They make millions of dollars every quarter. They can afford it. It's an error in my favor. Thank you very much. And on we go. We have to be careful. We don't have that attitude as Christians. Just because I'm not, uh, what's the saying? Um, I'm not different, just forgiven or something like that. I think that really cheapens what the grace of God is capable of doing. Yes, we have nothing special of ourselves. Yes, the, the good that we do is only a result of God's grace flowing through us. That's all true. But if we look no different than the world, then look out. Scripture says very clearly, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think there will be many surprises on that final day. There may be those in glory that we were expecting to see there that never made it. Because you can hide your sin in this world, but there's no hiding it from the eyes of the judge of the whole earth. And there may be some that maybe perhaps in the last moments of their life realized their bankruptcy and on the edge of eternity cast their lot in with Christ. And like the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord was able to say to them, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, it's not, it's not about us. It's about him and what he's done. But what he's done better show up in us. Because if it doesn't, then he didn't do it. Let's be careful. There's two errors here. One says, I can do it on my own. And the other says, he's done it all for me, so I don't even have to try. And I can live like I want. And I'm covered by the blood. Neither, neither are true. Now, you may wonder, as some have, how could a loving God condemn so many people to hell? Why are there so few here this afternoon and so many out in the world enjoying pleasure and sin? You're looking at the question the wrong way. The question isn't, why does God condemn so many to hell? The question is, is there any other way God could have done things to make the way to heaven more open for everyone? And the answer to that is no. He took it totally out of our hands. He said, all you have to do is believe. There is no other qualification. Just believe. Believe that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was enough for you. And humility, accept it. You're bankrupt. You've got nothing to pay. Accept the offer. That's all. Could he have done anything more? I don't think so. The best and most upright of those who lived according to the Jewish law, like the Apostle Paul did, even he realized that all of his righteousness, those things that he stacked up to his credit, he says, are all like dung like manure. 
nothing you want to hang on to. It's the grace of God that puts us in right standing with him. It's the grace of God that gives us his spirit to live inside of us so we can walk like no other natural man can. We were just talking on the way to church this morning about the early church. The Roman Empire was remarkably religious, religiously tolerant. They were willing to let anyone practice any religion, provided it didn't impinge on Roman law. In fact, in that era, the gods and goddesses of the ancient world were almost swapped like trading cards. And the gods of Egypt had some temples in Roman and Greek lands, and some of the Greek gods also showed up in, in other places. And the Romans didn't mind as long as the Pax Romana was kept. But when this small group of believers began to spread and grow, which had no visible God, and when they said, there is no Lord but God, Rome rose up in fury and said, how can it be? Caesar is, is Lord, and you're saying there's another Lord. And these people were willing to die for that Lord they couldn't see. That's not natural. That's not normal. That's not expected. It doesn't fit with the flow and the mold of the world. And the Roman authorities didn't know what to do. They did the only thing that they knew how to do, which was to clamp down harder. And the harder they tried to clamp down on this growing faith, the more it spread. One of the early church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed grain of the church. And the lordship of Jesus Christ spread. And the believers walked in the spirit and did not fulfill the lust of the flesh and didn't even count their own lives something worth hanging on to. Shocking. Shocking but glorious. That's the freedom available through Christ. So again, I'll, begin as, I'll finish as I began. What do you really want? Everyone says they want freedom, but what will you do with that freedom? How will you use it? Ask yourself that question. May you choose as the early church did, as the Apostle Paul did, as others have done before you, and in choosing the right way, find freedom. Freedom to do as he commanded and to live to live in a way that will leave you the most satisfied already here in this life and blessed in the life to come. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen. Lines from a poem written by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Thine are the, these orbs of light and shade Thou madest life and man and brute. Thou madest death. And lo, thy foot is on the skull which thou hast made. Thou wilt not leave us in the dust. Thou madest man, he knows not why. 
He thinks he was not made to die, and thou hast made him. Thou art just. Thou seemest human and divine, the highest, holiest manhood thou. Our wills are ours, we know not how. Our wills are ours to make them thine. This morning we heard about the life of Christ and how he was perfected by the things that he learned. The thing that he learned was to pull that will of his into full alignment with the will of his Father in spite of pain and difficulty. And in that exercise found ultimate triumph and glory. He's the pattern for us. That's how we will find fulfillment. That's how we will find glory. That's how we will find worth. By our will being lost in His. To the one who thinks that doesn't sound very attractive, my question is the same. So, what will you do with your will? Where will you find satisfaction and fulfillment? One day everything will be taken from you. And then what? Are you a brute? Or are you made in the image of God? With a will like his, in miniature, in a limited way, but a will that will find its ultimate fulfillment by being lost in the will of God. That will please both you and him. Isn't that ironic? You will find your delight in being in his presence, and he will delight in the fact that you are there. That's a thought that's almost too big for me to process. But it's true. So what will you do with your will? What do you really want? If you were given ultimate freedom, what would you choose? May the Lord give you wisdom to choose the right way. Amen. This concludes our service.